0: Today, uh, we're preaching on the shortest verse in the Bible, but in order to really appreciate the shortest verse in the Bible, we need to read the context in which it's found, and that would be John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. Now, I know this is a fairly long uh, scripture reading, but I think it's necessary to read the whole thing, to really be prepared for what we're going to learn from the shortest verse in the Bible. Beginning in verse verse 1, chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. At to saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, asleep he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went and met him. But Mary, Martha, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, See how he loved him. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go may God bless this reading of his word to our hearts today as we look into this one verse John 11:35 Jesus wept Yes, John 11.35 might be the shortest verse in the English Bible. But for those who want to know the heart of God, the words Jesus wept are among the greatest words found in the Bible. Lazarus was a member of a family that was greatly loved by Jesus. And when Jesus arrived at the scene of mourning for Lazarus' death, The sisters, Mary and Martha, brought their grief to him. Mary fell at Jesus' feet weeping, John records. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled, we are told in John 11.33. Jesus' reaction Sorry, I missed my place there. Jesus' reaction shows us that God cares. He cares about our sorrows. He did not look on disinterestedly or professionally, but He cared as Mary grieved. He was deeply moved in His spirit and He was greatly troubled. Jesus' reaction shows us that God cares. He cares about your sorrows and my sorrows. And Jesus, as I say, was deeply pierced in his heart. One commentator says so deeply that Jesus entered into the wounded hearts and sorrows of people that his heart, his heart was wrung with anguish. In this, Jesus manifests God in the flesh, who cares about his people. We see this in the Psalms, where David said, The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And also, in the Psalms, it says, He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So the question is, does does it matter? Does it matter that God cares for us? It matters very much. And it should draw us to him. Now, many people struggle with the truths about God that they find hard to accept. Uh, Things like his sovereignty. uh, Things like his wrath against sin. But what a difference it makes when we realize that our sovereign holy God cares about you and he cares about me as his children. Now I have learned over the years as a pastor that there are people who pay little attention sometimes to your teaching until they realize that you care about this realization that you actually care about the people, it's not just a job, it's not just a profession, but you are invested in their, their joys and their sorrows, this realization changes everything in the relationship. They want to learn what you have to say for them to grow in their faith. The God who calls you to kneel before his word is a God whose ears are attentive to your cry and who is close to those who are broken in spirit. Christ's groaning at the scene of sorrow in Bethany ought to draw us near to Jesus and to God the Father in prayer, realizing how much They do care about you as an individual. How much they care about you and your family. How much they care about your church family. How much Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father care about this very church, as long as it preaches the gospel and follows the word of God. One Bible commentator says, Questions are raised about what actually aroused Jesus' emotions here in this passage. This issue is complicated by the fact that the words describing Jesus' feeling is generally used to express a spirit of sternness or even anger. It is not just that Jesus was troubled, but that he was indignant Jesus was not merely saddened but he was outraged at the scene before him Our best guide to understand Jesus' attitude is his own statement of what was on his mind when he arrived Jesus did not demand uh, an answer to the question like what are you folks doing here or what is wrong with you instead he asked this question Where have you laid him? This shows that it was the fact of Lazarus' death that burdened his soul. It is death itself that rouses Jesus' anger. Jesus' emotion is the revulsion of everything that is in him against the power of death. Now, We often see Jesus depicted in works of art as almost passive, almost aloof. But as Jesus approaches the grave of his friend to wage warfare against death, he comes with passionate zeal. No warrior, one writer says, ever waded into his enemy ranks with greater ferocity Than Jesus did in warring with death. When Jesus looks on death, he sees the wreckage caused by sin and he sees the fingerprints of his hated enemy, Satan himself. This reminds us that even though Christians possess a glorious hope of resurrection, we are not therefore indifferent to the outrage that is death. Jesus was not unaffected by Lazarus' death. Christians should feel no differently. When we fight against death with our serving hands, with our tearful prayers, with our gospel witness, we are waging holy warfare under the banner of Christ. I can think of situations and I don't have any particular one right in mind but I, I know it's happened over the years in ministry where I delayed I delayed in sharing the gospel with someone uh, it wasn't convenient there were other things going on I was too busy uh, you get all kinds of excuses and yet At a later date, I was called upon to do a funeral for that individual. Now, I'm not saying that I'm responsible for whether that person was a Christian or not, but it definitely convicted me that maybe I should have spent a little more time talking to them about Jesus. On the other hand, I know of situations where I didn't delay And I did share the gospel, and I did have the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, and I did have the wonderful privilege of doing their funeral at a later date. And it made a big difference. I probably didn't think of it in terms of I'm fighting against the enemy death in those situations, but as I look back on it now, that was part of the situation. I'm not saying you should, you know, panic and uh, beat yourself up with a, a guilt trip that maybe you've ignored sharing the gospel with somebody who's died, but be mindful of the fact that we are going to be answered before the Lord when we meet him for our stewardship of those opportunities when they come. I'm not talking about going out and shoving the gospel down someone's throat, but we have situations sometimes when somebody's actually interested and yet we're too busy doing other things. And I, I have to say that that's happened in my life. Now, when Jesus asked to be shown Lazarus' grave, they told him, Lord, come and see. And arriving at the tomb, we're told that Jesus wept. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he was a good Baptist, says this, and you know, he's writing back at a long time ago in England, so he uses a little bit of different language than we do, but I think you'll get it. He says this, there is infinitely more in these two words, Jesus wept, well, than any sermonizer, like what I'm doing right now, or any student of the word, will ever be able to bring out of them, even though he should apply the microscope, even though he should apply the microscope of the utmost attentive consideration. One thing we should observe is how clearly this verse contradicts a common mistake about God. Now, when the ancient Greeks thought about God, they they described him with the word apatheia. It is the word from which we get our English word apathy. Describing God as apathetic. They meant by that definition, it is not possible for God to feel emotion. God cannot feel love or anger or disappointment or hope or any other emotion. And they reason that if God can be made to feel joy or sorrow, then someone else or some other thing has had an effect on God. That person has therefore held power over God. They're they're really getting into it there with their philosophical uh, investigation. It's not possible for God to be in anyone's power. This being the case... It must mean that God cannot have feelings. He must be lonely and isolated and compassionless. But these two words Jesus wept destroy this reasoning by showing us that God does indeed feel. Some reply that Jesus wept in his human nature only, forgetting that the reason he became man was to reveal God to us. Uh, One commentator says, Jesus wept and thus revealed a God who enters into the anguish of his people and he grieves with them in their afflictions. It is true that God feels, and yes, he feels in a way that is different from the way that we feel. Why? Well, for one thing, God's feelings are never mixed with sin as ours are. It is, it is true that God's feelings do not indicate a change, of, a change in God. The Bible states that in him there's no variation, no shadow due to change. So when we say that God feels, we do not mean that God has been surprised or that his nature has altered. What we mean is that things that happen on earth are real, and that God, who is also real, he has feelings about those things that happen. It is true that by weeping, Jesus proves his true humanity. But as God in the flesh, Jesus shows us that God feels with his people because Jesus wept. This also makes an important point about tears. Since Jesus possesses a true humanity, indeed a perfect humanity, and since Jesus wept, we should not be ashamed of doing the same thing. Now some Christians seem to think that by virtue of their salvation they have been lifted out of the human condition. But being a Christian makes us not less human, but more human. There are things in this world for which Christians should weep. Christians are not stoics. The stiff upper lip lip is not a sign of grace. I had an occasion one time to do a funeral for a man I didn't know. I knew some of his family members and so he died uh, from prostate cancer. And so they asked me to go to this church I'd never been to before and to do a funeral. And it was arranged in such a way that through the whole service I had to sit up and right next to the casket. Right next to the, the family was all in the front row. And it was a small church and it was cramped. There was no place to hide. So I, I don't like being the center of attraction. I don't even like being in the middle of this situation, being the focus. I want Jesus to be the focus. I want God to be the focus. But it's kind of hard to preach without being somehow somewhere in the middle, up front. I could do it from the back, but I don't think that would be too enjoyable if the pastor's in the back preaching, you're all looking at an empty wall up here. But on this particular occasion, and now is, I'm getting personal here now, I started to weep in that service. In a sense, the tears were coming down my face. Just little tears. Now, I don't know this man that died. But I know how he died. Because, and, and I the, the family spoke to me afterwards, and they said, we noticed that you were quite emotional up there uh, in relationship to our father's death. And I didn't disabuse them of that. I just said, yes, I was. I didn't explain why. But I'll tell you why. Okay. That week I had gone for a prostate biopsy and I was awaiting the results to find out if I had prostate cancer. It turned out I didn't, but I didn't know that that day. I was going to get the results until the beginning of the next week. So I could really relate to what was going on because that could be me and also the, the challenges that go along with the whole process. Even if you have surgery uh, and all the things that go to that or some other treatment, it's not something you want to look forward to. And so I was emotional. But those people were so touched by my emotion. I don't think it was wrong for them to be touched by emotion. I probably uh, was affected in some other ways too. I've had that happen in funerals where I see people get up and start to talk about their loved one and and give a testimony about what it's like to be without them, and and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not just going to sit there as a disinterested bystander. I, I get affected by that. It's been said, there's nothing unworthy of a child of God in tears. Even the Son of God could weep It shows us above all that the Savior in whom believers trust is a most tender and feeling Savior. He knows what we go through and he can be sad about it. How impoverished we would be if the Bible did not contain this shortest verse, Jesus wept. And Christians have rightly directed Derive blessing from God in their own tears, and an unspeakable comfort from knowing that Christ weeps with us in our grief over death. The word used to describe Jesus weeping, and I, I you know I don't throw Greek terms around a lot. That's not something I need to do. So I'll spell it to you. It's D-A-K-R-Y-O. I'd pronounce it. Dacrio, but uh, it may be pronounced a different way. It's found only here in the whole New Testament. It does not describe uncontrolled sobbing, but rather states that tears poured down his face. In a world like ours, there's something wrong if Christ's people seldom shed tears. <laughs> We are rightly busy doing good and advancing the cause of Christ's kingdom, but here we see that tears are part of the way in which we represent his grace. Many Christians are zealous to share the gospel with sinners, but does the sin and the misery of the sin lead us to weep for them and even with them? Lazarus Graves spoke to Jesus of the whole ruinous complex of sin in our world, and he wept. If we have his heart for the world, we will weep for and we will weep with the world as well. Could it be that Christ's love for the lost A broken heart of love that feels and weeps is the missing ingredient in our witness of Christ's gospel. Now weeping itself is not the answer, but possessing the heart of Jesus, a heart that is able to shed tears, is essential to our ministry of His grace to the world to our neighbors and to our own family members and especially to our children. John notes that the Jewish onlookers were impressed by what they saw in Jesus. They exclaimed, See, see how he loved him. 1136 This is another reason why Jesus was angry at Lazarus' death and why he wept at the tomb, because he did love Lazarus. He cared about Lazarus. And Jesus' tears show us that God cares and God feels. And also that God loves. God loves his people. And this is why he cared about Martha and Mary's anguish. He loved them. Jesus' love for Lazarus was not ended by death. It has been said, Christ's love to his own will follow them even to their graves. When you love someone, you rejoice at that person's joy and you grieve for his or her grief. Love always shares and always participates in feelings. This should encourage us in our ministry to one another. But how much better is the ministry of God's love? Too many people, even Christians, are angry with God when troubles come. But God is not the problem behind our grief. God in his love is the answer to which we should turn. Jesus did not begin to love Mary and Martha when he grieved with them. His love for Lazarus did not start with his tears, but it was when he grieved and when he wept that the people saw how much he loved them. Let us admit that if this account ended at John 11.35 with the the words, Jesus wept, and that was the end of it all, then Jesus would not be much of a savior. What if Jesus had wept at the tomb and then just took off? We might admire him and we might even love him, but we would not be able to entrust our destiny into his hands. Yet Jesus was not finished. He did not leave. And this reminds us that we should do more than just sympathize with the weak and the afflicted. We should do what we can to help them in their need. But while our help may eventually fail, Jesus' help does not fail. He had not arrived too late to help dead Lazarus. His tears were not the end of his ministry, but the beginning. He came to the tomb not merely to exercise his heart but to extend his saving power in the most dramatic fashion possible. Jesus silenced his critics by raising Lazarus from the grave. When Jesus says Lazarus, come out, the man who had died came out. But even The resurrection of Lazarus was not his fullest answer to the criticism. For within days, Jesus would do what? He would enter Jerusalem to do a greater work for his people. And he had spoken of this in his parable of the good shepherd, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And later he said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. When the Apostle John wrote his first epistle, he named the cross as the greatest proof of God's love. In this is the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It is there, right there at the cross, that we can echo the words of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, only now saying, See, see how he loved us. See how he loved you. See how he loved me. We remember God's words through the angel when Abraham had been willing to offer his only son. Now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Genesis twenty-two twelve. 12. If Abraham had been present when Jesus died on the cross he would have spoken in return to God now I know that you love me seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Even at the cross, Jesus was not finished. For three days after he died, he did something greater even than raising Lazarus from the grave. Jesus himself rose. He rose from the dead, Our sin having been conquered by his blood and death now conquered to the resurrection life he gives to us. This means here at Nosset Baptist Church on this Lord's Day, this means that we have an even better reason to believe in Christ's love for us than Martha and Mary did. We have seen him shed not only his tears but also his blood for our sins on the cross. If anyone here today has held yourself back from Jesus, trying to keep a safe distance from Jesus, don't want to get too close, because you doubt God's love, let both the tears and the blood of Jesus show you the very depth of his love and let them draw you to him in saving faith. It has now been almost 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. And people, people are still dying and people are still weeping but Jesus is not finished yet. Even now, ascended into heaven, he looks down with sympathetic eyes, sharing our sorrows, upholding us by His love. Hebrews 4:15 cites this as a mighty reason to pray. It says, "For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." since Jesus has lived and wept and died to this very world. But the day is coming when Jesus' victory will be complete. For when history has served its purpose, the ultimate purpose of history, by gathering all of Christ's precious flock, Jesus will return in power and glory. The Bible ends with a world made new in the final coming of its king. Revelation 21, 3-4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, death shall be no more, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. This is our salvation as the Bible tells it. It is a complete salvation that meets our every need. God's word promises that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Every one of Christ's redeemed will say to our caring and feeling and loving God, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears. And the question is, will you be there? That is the greatest question. The question is not whether or not you will weep or whether or not you will die in this world. We all will. But if you see in Jesus the loving eyes of God bent right towards you, if you believe on Him for your salvation, then even death, even death itself will lead you into life. And the tears you shed now will be wiped away by the loving hand of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this story in John chapter 11 about Jesus and Lazarus. We thank you for Jesus' testimony in verses 25 to 26, where Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Father, this chapter also teaches us that Jesus had a special relationship with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. This family gave Jesus welcome and they gave him oasis in a world of conflict and hostility. Because of his great love, he entrusted to them a difficult story, a hard providence, the sickness and death of Lazarus. Your gospel is a story of you doing all things well, not all things easily. Your name is Abba Father. But this does not mean that you lead your children into a life of complacent ease and comfort. Jesus delayed his coming to his beloved friends until he was certain that Lazarus was dead. This, the discipline of delay, is one of the hardest lessons we must learn as followers of Jesus Christ. Especially when it is you who does the delay. Only grace can enable us to accept your rich vocabulary of answers to our earnest prayers. Answers like yes, no, not yet, or even yes, but it's going to feel like no. Because we trust that you are able to do more abundantly than we ask or think. The more deeply we know and the and walk with Jesus, the more readily we accept your glory as our greatest good, even when it looks like such a momentary bad. As the resurrection and life of Jesus has, is already writing better stories than we can ever, ever write. Martha and Mary would soon find this to be true. And so shall we. Amen and amen.